This is a special edition of Spectrum, featuring international lawyer, war crimes prosecutor, and security specialist David Crane. Recently, the news has featured security gaffes in the White House. Some reports have said that President Trump gave the Russians intelligence information that was classified at the highest levels of secrecy. To understand exactly what happened and what the terminology we hear about in the news means, we called in an expert, David Crane. He spent over three decades in top-level intelligence work for the government. He helped create and was the founding director of the Office of Intelligence Review in the Department of Defense. David shares with us his concerns about how this administration is handling intelligence and what the dire ramifications could be. David, uh, as a person who's worked in in security and intelligence, uh, help us as lay people out here, first of all, understand all of the degrees of of security. And and if you could simplify it for us as best you can. Well, sure. It's uh, it's pretty easy. Uh, We do not allow those who do not have a need to know information uh, that uh, that is protected. I call it guarding the king's secrets. And if one releases those uh, that information without authority, uh, then that is an actual federal crime. Uh, the whole system is based on uh, trust. It's also based on uh, risk. And when one enters the national security system, one uh, is granted access to these king secrets at various levels, and so they do a background investigation. Uh, and uh, once that background investigation is done, uh, we have there's a group in each agency uh, that assesses uh, the uh, the viability of that candidate to become a member of the national security system. And it's always evaluated over the time of the uh, the career of that individual. Uh, and that individual has to make certain uh, statements on that application that he has not done X or Y or Z. And if you, in fact, lie about that, uh, that is also a federal crime. And if it's found out later that you lied on your application uh, or gave false statements uh, on that application, uh, then uh, you would be removed. And that's exactly what happened to Michael Flynn. Uh, he, uh, as he was revalidating his security clearance, uh, left information out uh, or uh, did not divulge information that would be pertinent to a uh, security uh, uh, clearance review uh, or, in fact, uh, lied about it. And so that's uh, the gravamen of uh, Michael Flynn's offense as far as uh, not divulging what he had done. And that would that would be in relationship to his uh, contacts with Russia, but also the... Uh retainer that he had from the Turkish government. Would that be correct? That's right. I got a little bit long-winded there. No, no, that's all right. The bottom line is, is that a person who wants to join the federal government with that, and security clearance is required, there's a background investigation. If that background investigation is reviewed and that individual is found to not be a risk uh, to the national security, they are allowed to receive a security clearance. Now, there are uh, several types of levels of clearance uh, related to this. So uh, there's confidential, which uh, the release of that information would have 
some harm to the United States. There's secret, which would mean a, uh, a more serious harm to the United States if that information was released. Uh, then there is top secret, which release of that information uh, uh, would have a grave impact on uh, the security of the United States. And so most individuals going into the national security system are assessed and reviewed for a top secret clearance. Uh, and so they do a back, an extensive background check uh, uh, on the individual who is going to have access to top secret uh, information. And sometimes these background checks can take as long as six months to eight months and cost up to $100,000 per individual uh, before they're allowed to uh, have access to this very, very critical uh, information. But we think it's an important expenditure because we have to make sure that people who are uh, working with, reading, and using that information uh, are not uh, agents of a foreign power or who are susceptible to blackmail or what have you related to some type of foreign agent spy uh, trying to turn them uh, into a spy that would uh, release that information in, a, in an illegal way. But David, if you look at, at Michael Flynn as, as somebody who has had previous clearances as as a general and and with other positions that he held, is that uh, a new uh, investigation? Is it a shortened investigation or is it the, the full bore investigation that you just described? Uh, no. Uh, what it is is they dust everything off. Uh, he had just left the service, so he, uh, his, he had a current probably clearance. But what they do is they go back and the individual, because it's a new position, uh, they, he resubmits what we call a standard form 87, which uh, they re-ask various questions uh, national security questions, uh, questions that could potentially have you blackmailed, and questions like, have you ever or are you currently working for a foreign power? And if you say yes, then you have to explain that. Uh, and people reviewing that will assess that, what we call adjudicate the case, and determine whether that's a potential problem or not. If they don't think it is, uh, then they, they move forward with the granting of the security clearance. However, if you are working with a foreign power and you say no, you have just made a false official statement and that's a federal crime. And so that's where uh, General uh, Flynn gets into issues uh, related to, he was not forthcoming uh, on, uh, on uh, revalidating his security clearance and that's going to cause him some problems. When you went through the various levels of classification, uh, we heard one recently that that I didn't hear you talk about, and that is code word. Uh, can you explain how that fits in and what that means? Yes. Uh, then, uh, well, yeah, like I said, there are the, the three general levels of classified information are confidential, secret, top secret. Now, within the top secret system, uh, there are uh, other levels. Uh, and again, just because you have a top secret clearance, it doesn't mean that you have access to everything in the federal government. Uh, that just means that you are uh, allowed to look at top secret information. And then uh, in that realm, you have other types of, of uh, information that is only looked at by people who are what we call read on to the program. So that's where you get into what we call code word. The code word itself is classified. But you have a thing called a top secret, 
then you have a further clearance called special compartmented information, which then is a further uh, review to make sure that you can look at some of this code word material. So uh, when I was in government, uh, I had access uh, to top secret SCI uh, material. And I was one of about 10 individuals in the Pentagon that was actually read on to all of the classified uh, programs. Most people are only uh, read on to programs that they're currently working on. But in my job uh, as inspector general was to ensure that I could have access to anything, to look at it, to inspect it, to make sure uh, that uh, that organization was complying with uh, uh, with law, policy, and regulation in our Constitution. So yes, that's a good, uh, there is code word. And so what that means is that only people who have are read on to the program and have a need to know actually uh, uh, can, can work in that realm. A good example, both Judy and I were in the intelligence business, Judy, my wife, uh, we both had top secret SCI clearances, special compartment and information clearances. But we couldn't talk, even though we had the same clearance, we weren't read on to programs that we were working on. And so we couldn't talk about uh, our programs uh, to each other because she didn't have a need to know on my programs and, she, and I didn't have a need to know on her programs, if that makes sense. Let's move, if we could then, given all of that background, to uh, what happens in the White House with this information and what is the norm to happen in the White House. I assume that before uh, a president, any president, uh, meets with foreign dignitaries, that someone from the intelligence community briefs the president on uh, matters of, of current interest or current danger or, or just uh, background. Uh, is that the case? Do I have that right? Uh, yes. Uh, you know, what you're really, what you're really uh, uh, talking about here uh, is the president is the commander-in-chief, the ultimate classifier and unclassifier. He has agents that actually classify information, uh, what have you. Uh, but when the president is getting ready to do something in the national security uh, realm, then he does have people or should have people come in and brief him on uh, the head of state that's visiting him or the official that's visiting him or whatever particular situation he needs to know about to make appropriate decisions. A lot of that is top secret. Most of it is special compartmented information. Uh, a good example, we have an individual, a head of state who is visiting uh, a member of the national security system will come out in with the national security advisor and sit down with him and tell him all about that uh, all about that head of state his personality his proclivities his weaknesses whether he likes to drink whether he's a womanizer uh, watch out for this this particular uh, topic is very sensitive and it may turn him off and make him angry just basic information on that individual right the president can uh, adjust his thinking when he is meeting with that head of state uh, or a particular national security situation. So a smart president uh, listens to his intelligence uh, personnel uh, to, to understand and appreciate uh, uh, what's about to happen. Uh, it's, a, it's really uh, very dangerous to walk into a meeting uh, with a senior head of, uh, a diplomat or head of state uh, and not be briefed on the background of the things that he should be careful of uh, and 
also, and this is where I think is critical, they'll also tell them, don't tell them about X, Y, or Z. Because if you do, then you're going to embarrass us. You're going to potentially break open a program uh, that could get somebody arrested or killed. Or, as importantly, we got this information from another country who is working with us. And if you tell that head of state or that foreign minister that information, that's going to expose that country's uh, programs, national security programs, to great embarrassment or great harm to that country. And then all of a sudden, the level of trust of information sharing between allies and friends becomes a problem. They won't trust the United States if we are just ignoring uh, the uh, and respecting the classifications related to that information. So uh, it's a matter of trust and respect. And so what happened in the White House, apparently, uh, with President Trump, who, as the commander-in-chief, can declassify information at, at, a, at a moment's notice. But usually it's done after he has worked with people in his government as to, should I tell them this information and declassify it? Now, that sometimes can take months, sometimes that can take a week, sometimes because of the press of time, it could take a day, but at least the president is making a, a, a considered decision whether to tell that other country that information that was once top secret, special compartmented information. And that's apparently did not happen uh, when he met with the foreign minister and the Russian ambassador to the U.S. That's that's not the norm to release. Uh, I think the term that was used was on the spot, made, making an on the spot decision to release information, especially information that would be so serious that would it would be in the code word status. I was in the intelligence business, the national security business for almost 30 years. I'd never heard of such a thing. Presidents just don't do that. Uh, they're going to let their uh, intelligence professionals and national security professionals know that, hey, I'm going to be meeting with so-and-so uh, here in the next week or the next month or in six months. Uh, tell me what I need to know. Tell me what I can tell them. Tell me what I can't tell them. Uh, they'll sit down, brief him, and make sure that uh, he fully understands the balance of it all. And then the, then the president can make a, uh, uh, a knowing uh, decision that will not harm uh, the United States. Uh, I am sure the, the foreign minister went back to uh, President Putin and said, you're not going to believe what he just did in, in the Oval Office. And they probably sat around that evening over a vodka and, and, and laughed because it's just unheard of. There was, in the aftermath of this, H.R. Uh, McMaster, the, the national security advisor, uh, w was trying to uh, defend and, and explain. But one thing he said uh, struck me, and I want to get some clarification from you. He said, you know, the president, he has the right to divulge this information. I think his his uh, uh, code words were that it was wholly appropriate, and he used those over and over again. However, at the very end of McMaster's briefing, he said the president wasn't even briefed on this source or where it came from. So using that almost as a defense that no harm, no foul— 
Is that unusual that the president would not be briefed on a source of information or where it came from? I think that that shows uh, something of great concern. Uh, The president has already said, I don't need to get a daily intelligence brief because I know what I need to know. I'm smart enough not to get that brief. That is also unheard of and amazing. Though presidents from time to time have a less positive relationship with the intelligence community, but they receive those intelligence briefs several times a week. He doesn't do that. And so, yeah, he wouldn't know because no one's told him. That's a very scary proposition uh, by an individual who has his finger on the nuclear button who can make instantaneous decisions in complete darkness. So I thought that that was a very damning statement that the president doesn't even know what he's supposed to know. And, and this argument as a defense saying, you know, he didn't know what he didn't know, so therefore it's okay, uh, that actually it was, a, was the most concerning statement of all is this guy's clueless because he doesn't want to know because he's telling his intelligence professionals uh, that I, uh, I'm smart enough to figure it out myself. And he said that on the campaign trail uh, several times. So I was very concerned, even more concerned, uh, after McMaster, who knows better and knows this. Uh, that just tells you there's something dysfunctional in the national security system uh, in the White House. So let's take this to the next level, if you would help me with this. The president is leaving and will be on a nine-day, five-country trip to the Middle East, to uh, starting in Saudi Arabia, going to Israel, going on uh, to Italy, and then to the G7. Given this proclivity to not be appropriately briefed, you know, you've spent a lot of time in this part of the world. Tell us the potential dangers that we might be uh, seeing or what we as lay people should look for. Well, just something as simple as this. When you're in the Middle East, you never reach for something and eat something with your left hand. Uh, someone's going to have to tell him that, or he's going to reach over with his left hand and pick something up. Because he's left-handed, I believe. <laughs> but but he's going to be. Right. He, that's going to cause great offense. Uh, some uh, some cultures you don't touch people. Some cultures you touch them greatly. You not only do you do you shake their hand, but you kiss them three times, one each on each cheek, uh, back and forth, uh, hugging. I mean, just a simple cultural. Uh, approaches to greeting and showing respect uh, vary uh, throughout the world, of course, and I'm sure your listeners know that, but if a president is not aware of a particular proclivity or a concern of that particular country, uh, then he could just cause a diplomatic problem, that in and of itself, by an inappropriate greeting. Uh, Then, of course, it uh, it cascades down uh, if he's not aware of the issues related to what's going on in that country how they treat women, how uh, if they particularly they torture their defendants, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you end up finding that uh, uh, that he could be saying some things publicly that will cause great offense to other allies. In fact, I was really concerned it's not going to happen, as I learned this morning. But he may have he was about to attend a meeting where Omar al-Bashir, an indicted genocidaire, was going to be present. Uh, if he walked into that room with a indicted 
war criminal, that would send terrible signals throughout the world related to United States uh, respect towards human rights. So you can see uh, how this just cascades to all kinds of problems unless you're listening to your people tell you what you need to know so that you can make decisions. Because it'll be in social settings and diplomatic sessions, uh, settings, uh, in negotiation settings. If he is clueless or has doesn't have the information he needs, he's going to be making decisions uh, or say things that are going to be uh, real problematic for the United States, potentially. One of the stops on the trip is Israel. Uh, it's been reported, of course, we don't know, but it's been reported that Israel was the source country for the intelligence that was uh, divulged to the Russians. Talk about what that dynamic might be like. Uh, what might Israel say to the president? What Will he go in and grovel to the Israelis? How does that work? Well, Donald Trump doesn't grovel to anybody, so that's not going to happen. I don't think the prime minister of Israel is going to bring it up, but I can certainly tell you his national security chief is going to certainly have very direct words with uh, uh, our national security professionals because they're embarrassed. Our, our, our national security embarrasses. All they're going to do is say, we're sorry. This is on us. Uh, and, you know, Israel is going to pause. You know, they, we, we uh, trade information, critical information related to many things to include terrorists, and they help us prevent tragedies against U.S. persons overseas and in the United States. If the, if the Israelis or any country in the Middle East, which we have arrangements with, stop giving us that information, uh, that's, a, that's a direct threat to the national security of the United States because we don't know what we don't know. You know, the intelligence business is based on trust, respect, sharing of information, uh, and understanding each other's concerns related to our own individual national security. And it's, it's, a lot of it is a handshake and an ability to appreciate the other side where they're coming from. If you lose that trust and respect, uh, then that country is literally hanging out there uh, with, uh, with no net. David, from this point forward and hearing what uh, General McMaster uh, was saying after the, the divulging of the information to the Russians, you must have, and being in intelligence for 30 years, you must have some grave concerns going forward. Uh, how is this kind of situation rectified? Or are we just going to go in a downward spiral? Well, uh, I'm, I am deeply concerned. Uh, but, but we have incredible professionals in the intelligence business, of which America will never know and never appreciate because these tremendous Americans work in the shadows. And their administrators and their leaders also largely work in the shadows. Uh, they're going to do what's right for our country, uh, in support of our Constitution. Uh, and I just can't think, despite uh, a commander-in-chief uh, who is uh, ranting and raving in the Oval Office and is clueless, uh, they're not going to sell the country 
down the river based on directions of someone who does not respect them or respect the Constitution. Remember, and your listeners have to understand this, and, and unfortunately our president does not. Everyone that works for a government, be it state, county, or federal, take an oath. And it's not to the county commissioner or the governor or the president. It's the oath is to the United States Constitution to protect and uphold that Constitution. And so people are going to hopefully do the right thing. And I, having been in that business and have taken that oath a couple of times, uh, most professionals, vast majority, are not going to uh, look the other way because a president who is demanding that they look the other way, uh, they're just not going to do that. So, but I guess what I'm telling you and your listeners in a long-winded way, but I have to make sure they fully appreciate this because they won't know because they don't know. They're not supposed to know. Uh, we have a very, we have the best intelligence service in the world. They're highly trained, highly motivated, and they are bound to the Constitution and upholding the law and protecting our country. And that's something that I, in my own mind, because I know it, uh, have a certain amount of sense of security. And I'm just trying to pass that on to our listeners here, that despite what the current president is doing, saying, and demanding, the professionals will balance the mission, the direction by the president, and the Constitution. And I'll guarantee you, the Constitution will win. Media reports came out this week, and I'm sure this is probably not news to you who study this country in depth, but news reports came out this week of President Assad uh, executing uh, 5,000 prisoners uh, a day uh, in some uh, reports that, that came out. Uh, establishing these uh, crematoria to to burn the bodies to to dispose of them is that just the tip of the iceberg or or can you comment about that well I can uh, as the listeners may or may not know I was the co-author of the blockbuster uh, Caesar report that revealed to the world that uh, Assad has a industrialized killing machine that has not been seen since the Holocaust. Uh, of course, when you are in the business that I am, the mass destruction of human beings, their bodies uh, have to be disposed of or it will cause health problems. And you can bury them in mass graves, uh, but they can be found. Uh, and so, like the Holocaust, Assad in his killing machine began to realize we can't bury all of these people, which is horrific in and of itself. And I can't believe I'm actually describing something that's going on in the 21st century. So you have to burn them there. And it's easier to get rid of the ashes than the flesh. I know this is a horrific uh, topic. So uh, we, this is just further evidence of an industrialized killing machine, which we found and exposed, uh, and which is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we looked at only, and only had direct evidence of three detention facilities, and we were able to catalog 11,000 human beings perishing 
But we do know for a fact that there are several dozen detention facilities within Syria, all of which are killing people on a daily basis. So that what we really are looking at is the tip of the iceberg only to be exposed or understood after some day going in and truly finding the evidence related to that. So yeah, this is truly the tip of the iceberg. But what we've got here is an industrialized killing machine in the 21st century uh, that mirrors a horror that took place in the mid 20th century where when we established the United Nations, we said never again. Unfortunately, it is again. David, thank you so much for your time. I, I can't thank you enough uh, for adding all of this clarity for us. And, and I know people are out there sometimes confused or they get catchphrases from the media. And what we're trying to do is dig behind that a little bit and talk to people who really know so that they can uh, give us a better perspective. And, and you, you do that spot on. I, I so appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure, and uh, it's always good to chat with you, and I look forward to uh, chatting again, and uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. We've been talking with security expert David Crane about governmental mishandling of highly secret information. This podcast is produced by WWB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through iTunes. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions about our podcast, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.